Good morning. Welcome to Sunday Morning with 11 Action. I am Ken Tuck. Thank you for joining me this morning. Hope you're having a good day. We're in November. Wow, can you believe that 2022 is reaching an end? Wow, this year has gone by so fast. The Word of God says life is but a vapor. And man, the older I get, the more I see how true it is. And of course, all of God's Word is true. But man, life is fast. This year has just flown by. It's been an awesome year. But it's hard to believe it's it's already November, and we know Thanksgiving's coming up, and then we get into the holiday season, and everybody gets busy and rushing around, but just take time to enjoy Jesus. Take time to enjoy your family, because this life goes mighty quick. So be sure in all the hustle and bustle that goes with this time of the year to take time to enjoy the blessings of God. And your family is a blessing of God. Your friends are a blessing of God. So take time to enjoy them. And remember that every good and perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father. Well, today is November 6th, and that means it is mine and Martha's wedding anniversary. 18 years she's put up with me. (laughs) Uh, It's been 18 wonderful years. I just want to wish my beautiful bride happy anniversary. I love you so much. As we always say, I love you bunches times seven. Why time seven? Because seven is the number of perfection. Well, this morning we are going to dive into the Word of God today. And before we do, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father God, we praise you and we love you. We thank you for this day. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for your Son, Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for you, God, for just who you are, Almighty God, Abba, Father, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Creator. Father God, you are everything. You're our provider. You're our healer. God, you do everything for us, and we just can't say thank you enough. I thank you that we can have all of eternity to thank you, Lord, if we just receive your free gift of salvation, then we will be with you forever, and we'll have the opportunity to praise you and worship you and thank you for all eternity. And what an awesome day that's going to be to see you, Jesus, face to face. Oh, Lord, I thank you for for just loving us like you do. Father, we thank you for this time to get into your word this morning, and I ask you, Holy Spirit, to teach us, guide us, lead us into all your truths, and may we be doers of your word and not hearers only. Father, we praise you, and it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, today I'm going to teach on a verse with a command from Jesus that is or at least it seems impossible to obey. Do you ever come across Scripture and some of commands that Jesus gives us and think, how can I do that? Or is it even possible? And here's one of them. It's his command that begs to ask those questions. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, where Jesus says, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, no pressure there, is there? Uh, you know, before I dig into this command, let's look at the background uh, of the scripture because it's important when we're studying God's word. It's always good to read the scripture in context and look at the background. For example, look at who the author is and who was his audience and what was going on. And remember that this was written in first century A.D. to people in the Middle East, not modern-day America. So let's go back before we dive into the Scripture, just so we have a better understanding of what's going on here. Now, this Scripture comes from the teaching of Jesus during the Sermon on the Mount, just the, the greatest, most magnificent 
sermon ever. His Beatitudes, uh, Jesus makes pronouncements to the crowds and religious leaders during this, this sermon that he's given, and he gives us instructions to his disciples concerning the nature of life in the kingdom, how we should live this life. And the Sermon on the Mount, I really encourage you, if you haven't read it lately or if you've never read it, to go back and read it. It starts in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and it goes through Matthew 7, verse 29. And this was the authoritative message of the Messiah. And he spoke on the kingdom life for his disciples. So if you're a disciple of Christ, this is kingdom life. This is how he tells us to live. And Jesus is teaching us a very challenging but practical ethic that he expects his followers to live by in this present age. You know what Matthew recorded is probably a summary of a longer message, but the structure is a unified whole, and it also has similarities to the Sermon on the Plain, which you can read in Luke 6, verses 17 through 49. But there are also significant differences as well. Of course, the, the author, of course, is Matthew, because this is the gospel according to Matthew. We know that Jesus called him. That's pretty controversial calling there with him being a tax collector. And, you know, the Jews, boy, they hated tax collectors. Picking Levi, as he's called in, in Luke and Mark, uh, was very controversial. But obviously, Jesus picked him. So obviously, it was a good, a good choice by Jesus there. And with Matthew being a tax collector, then... He had training in scribal techniques, which means he could write, and he could write very well, and that's obvious by reading his gospel. While his identity as a Galilean Jewish Christian suggests his ability to interpret the words and actions of Jesus in light of Old Testament messianic expectations, so therefore Jesus, Matthew saw him as the Messiah, which he was correct, and he could look at the Old Testament scripture with the prophetic messianic messages and could show how Jesus fulfilled those. Here's one interesting fact about the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is that you may or may not know is their names are not mentioned as the writers, as many of the books in the Bible are. Not all of them are. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, none of the four Gospels includes their names as the authors in the original manuscripts. So, Technically, these Gospels are anonymous, but don't worry, and don't go out and say, Ken said the Gospels were anonymous, but <laughs> technically they are, but we know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote them, so be sure to remember that part. But just it was just an interesting fact there, and the fact that they aren't listed as authors within the, the text themselves is not surprising since these authors likely had compiled their Gospel accounts for members of their churches to whom they were already well known. You may ask, so how do we know that they actually wrote them? Well, historical documents from early church history provide significant insight into the gospel's authorship. Uh, The earliest traditions of the church are unanimous in attributing the first gospel to Matthew, the former tax collector who followed Jesus and became one of the 12 disciples, as we all know. The earliest and most important of these traditions comes from the second century in the writings of Papias, who was a bishop in Hierapolis in Asia Minor back in AD 135, and also Arrhenius, who was the bishop of Lyons in Gaul in AD 175, because these early church leaders they had either direct or indirect contact with the apostolic community 
And since they had that, they would have been very familiar with the gospel's origins. And moreover, no competing tradition now exists, if it ever did, attributing Matthew's gospel to another author. Also, Matthew, if he didn't write this book, it's hard to see why the false subscription would be the name of a relatively obscure apostle when more well-known popular figures could have been chosen, such as Philip, Thomas, James. So we know that it, it was Matthew who wrote this. There's just so much proof that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote them. Matthew wrote this in the, as I mentioned, in the early 50s and 60s, and this due in part to a comment by the church father, Irenaeus, that I just mentioned. He wrote that Matthew also issued a written gospel among the Hebrews in their own dialect while Peter and Paul were preaching at Rome and laying the foundations of the church. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all wrote their gospels within a lifetime of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to date, we have 5,800, that's 5,800 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament with an astounding 2.6 million pages of biblical texts. Well, some of these manuscripts are small and fragmented. The average size of a New Testament manuscript is 450 pages. So add this to the ancient manuscripts written in Latin, Coptic, Armenian, etc., which numbers in the tens of thousands, and you realize there's an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the New Testament manuscripts. No other ancient texts can compare with the New Testament when it comes to the sheer volume of manuscripts, nor when we consider how close the earliest manuscripts are to the original. And the earliest surviving text of Matthew consists of six verses from the Gospel of Matthew in a fragment condition. They're dated 100 to 150 A.D. Those verses are Matthew chapter 21, verses 34 through 37, and verses 43 and 45. And if you ever go to the U.K., check out the Oxford's Sackler Library, and you can see those fragments. So just a little background, a little interesting background there on Matthew and, and the other Gospels. His audience, who he was writing to, it suggests that the prominent church in Antioch of Syria where the members were both Jewish and Gentiles, or Gentile Christians, I should say. Uh, that was the intended audience of Matthew's gospel. And they point to the gospel's influence of Ignatius, who was an early bishop of Antioch. And at the same time, Matthew's message spoke to all of the fledgling churches of his day, and the gospel appears to have circulated rapidly and widely. Matthew wrote his gospel to demonstrate Jesus' messianic identity, his inheritance of the Davidic kingship over Israel, and his fulfillment of the promise made to his ancestor Abraham to be a blessing to all nations. And we read that back in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Thus, in large part, Matthew's gospel is an evangelistic tool aimed at his fellow Jews, persuading them to recognize Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah, and at the same time, his gospel also reveals clearly to Gentiles that salvation through Jesus, who is the Messiah, is available to all people, all nations. For Jewish Christians, Matthew's gospel provided encouragement to stand steadfast amid opposition from their own countrymen, as well as the Gentile pagans of that day. It helped them to be secure in the knowledge of their citizenship in God's kingdom. We know that the Jewish Christians, they were 
very much persecuted and persecuted by their own people, the, the Jewish people. And so Matthew's gospel really, really gave them that encouragement that they needed to keep on keeping on in the name of Jesus. And Matthew, against this backdrop of opposition to the message of Jesus Christ, he established the identity of the church as the true people of God who now find their unity and service to Jesus despite racial, class, and religious barriers. And his gospel provides necessary instruction for all future disciples, Jew and Gentiles, who form a new community centered upon devotion and obedience to Jesus the Messiah amid significant opposition. So Matthew wrote this. Yes, his audience was the church in Antioch of Syria, but the message is for all of us, all of us believers who would come after them. So God gives us another very powerful book to read as he gives us this message through Matthew. And let's dive into this message. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, again, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. <laughs> Every time I, I read that, it just uh, I, I have to say, wow. Be perfect like my heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus says to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you're like, what? Be perfect like God? There's no way. No way I can do that. I've actually I've had a few people tell me, oh, yeah, we can be perfect. So I quickly go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, where we read, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Look at that. John wrote this letter. First of all, it was to the church, okay, to believers, to followers of Jesus. And in 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, John is saying all humans are sinful. But Christians, we have that joyful fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and with each other through repentance and faith in Christ. Then also notice that John used the verb have, which is present tense. He didn't say we used to have sin. No, he said we have sin. And so that's that present tense there. And then he also used the word we, so he included himself. So we see the Apostle John is saying, I'm not perfect either. No human is perfect. So again, how can we be perfect like God? Well, let's read it in context. Let's start in verse 43, Matthew 5, verse 43. And this is Jesus, again, preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of, the fa- of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You therefore be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So our Lord sets before us the only absolute perfect and holy being as the ultimate standard of character in the kingdom of God. That's as high as a standard as you can get for being perfect for anything when you put God as the standard. And so let's look at that word perfect. The word perfect here means completeness in all parts. Perfect signifies in the New Testament completion in Christian character, a desire to please God in all things and sincere compliance with all of the divine precepts. 
So to be perfect as God is impossible. But for our encouragement, let's look into these words closely and remember that, number one, that a high standard is necessary in everything to attain true success. Just think about any career that you have. If you want to have real success, you're going to have high standards. If you want your company, your church, your ministry to have true success, you're going to have high standards. And we need to remember that a high standard is necessary to lift our thoughts above earthly standards. If we look at earthly standards, we'll set those goals, those standards too low. We need to set godly standards. Number three, a high standard is necessary to meet the boundless desires of our spiritual being. Our, our spiritual desire is to be like our Heavenly Father. We know our flesh desires to sin. So it's that battle between flesh and the spirit. But our spirit wants to and desires to be like our Heavenly Father. And therefore, we have to have this high standard to be perfect as our Heavenly Father. And Jesus tells us leading up to verse 48 how we are to be perfect in love. And in this context, the word perfect is that spiritual maturity which enables believers, followers of Christ, Christians, to imitate God in dispensing blessings to everyone without partiality. It doesn't matter if they love us or they hate us. We want to pray for them, love them, bless them. And so when we're looking at the Scripture and says, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect, who set that example for us of perfection? Well, of course, Jesus did. He's the only perfect one to ever walk on this earth. And he set the ultimate example of perfect love, which, of course, is not something we can attain in this earthly life. Yet Jesus is the ultimate example of how we should be. He's perfection, and we're not. But nevertheless, it's God's high standard for us, and he expects us to strive in that direction. So, we got to keep striving to be perfect as God is perfect. And some people are thinking, man, that, that's way too high of a standard for me. Well, hold on. Don't give up yet. Hold on. It's impossible for us to be perfect like God. We understand that. But in the previous verses on the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus has essentially asked us for perfection. Let's look a little bit further back at Matthew 5, verses 27 through 28, where Jesus says, You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. So what more can be done about adultery if lust has been driven from your hearts? You see, the standards are high. And then look again where we just read in verses 43 through 45. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So who else is there to, left to love after you love your enemy? Right? You, you love the ones that you love, obviously. And then Jesus says, well, love your enemies also. So who else is there to love? If we can love our enemies as well as love our loved ones and friends and so forth, then we've perfected that, haven't we? Same thing about adultery. If we can not think about those thoughts and not do the physical act or think about doing those acts, then we've perfected that part, right? And we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, though. Don't try to set out and do any of this on your own, on your own strength, on your own might, because you will fall miserably because we all have. Only the Holy Spirit can help us do these things. We look at this command to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We look at it being 
impossible to keep. The thing is we should strive for perfection. For I believe Jesus is telling us that we should strive for perfection at each level in our walk with him. And that's something that's called sanctification. That's where the Holy Spirit, through him working in us, we repent of our sins we haven't yet overcome, and we strive for perfection in that area or those areas. It's studying the Word of God continually, not just blowing off the dust and opening it up every now and then, but studying it continually and being obedient to him. And sanctification, it's, it's ongoing. It's a lifelong process of being made holy or separated for God. And I'll do some teaching soon on sanctification, and we'll dive into that because that's such an important teaching. So what aspects of perfection are we to strive for? There are several. First, in character, meaning our temperament, honor, integrity, moral fiber, fortitude, reliability, discipline, perseverance, generosity, humility, loyalty, patience. You get the picture there. Secondly, in holiness. We are to separate ourselves from worldly values, and we are to be devoted to God's values instead of our own. So we need to see what God's values are. That's why we need to study his word, and we need to be devoted to him, to his values instead of our own. Third, maturity. We can't achieve Christ-like character and holiness all at once, you know, so please don't think you can do that all at one time because we can't. It's impossible. But we must grow in maturity and wholeness. Just think about it this way. Just as we expect different behavior and thinking from a baby, from a child, from a teenager, from an adult. So God expects different behavior from us, depending upon our stage of spiritual development. So whatever stage we're at, then we work for perfection there. Then we go to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage. And again, it's, it's a lifelong sanctification. It's lifelong. And so don't ever say, all right, I've arrived, because we haven't, not until we see Jesus face to face. Then fourth, in love. We seek to love others as completely as God loves us. And interestingly, the Jewish annotated New Testament says that to be perfect applies only to maturity or wisdom or could possibly indicate completeness with God, though not necessarily in a moral sense. And likewise, the Oxford Bible commentary says to be perfect is not a call to sinlessness. Rather, it's actually a call to completeness. So in other words, they're actually letting us off the hook a little bit, aren't they? On the other hand, the Life Application Study Bible says that we can be perfect if our behavior is appropriate for our maturity level. Perfect yet with much room to grow. I really like that. I want to repeat it again, that we can be perfect if our behavior is appropriate for our maturity level. Perfect yet with much room to grow. So again, it's that what stage are we at in our walk with Jesus? And then we go to the next stage and the next stage. It's a continual process. And our tendency to sin must never deter us from striving to be more like Christ. Don't let anything stop you from desiring and striving to be more like Jesus. Our Messiah calls us to excel, to rise above mediocrity, and to mature in every area, becoming more like him. Those who strive to become perfect will one day be perfect, even as Christ is perfect. Let's read 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, 
because we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. One day we will reach perfection, and that's when we see Jesus. One day he's coming back. He's going to give us glorified bodies, and we're going to be with him forever and ever, and we'll see perfection on that day. The MacArthur Bible Commentary says, Christ set an unattainable standard, which sums up what the law itself demands, as we read in James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. MacArthur goes on to write, Though this standard is impossible to meet, God cannot lower it without compromising his own perfection. He who is perfect cannot set an imperfect standard of righteousness. The marvelous truth of the gospel is that Christ has met this standard on our behalf. Jesus was treated as a sinner, though he was perfect, to purchase our forgiveness, everlasting life, righteousness, and perfection. We are treated as if we lived a perfect life like Jesus did. He paid for it all. What a marvelous, amazing Savior and Lord we serve. And I agree so much with John MacArthur there. We do serve such an awesome and amazing Lord and Savior. There's no one like Jesus. And when we stop and think about that, through what he did on the cross for us, dying, rising again, that when we give our lives to him and we repent of our sins, God forgives us, and he looks at us as though we never sinned. See, Jesus took that sin, took all of our sins to the cross, and he took our sins and gave us his righteousness. And he offers forgiveness for everyone. What an awesome God we serve. And there's just no one like him. So Jesus commands us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is. If he commands us to do something, and as impossible as it sounds, he'll help us to accomplish it. And again, we're not going to accomplish it here on earth, but we can strive for that perfection here on earth. And then one day we will see perfection and we will become just like him when we step into eternity, and when Jesus comes back and he gives us our glorified bodies. But while we're here on earth, we need to strive, be like Jesus. We must let the Holy Spirit work in us to bring us into perfection at each stage in our life. Each stage that we walk with Jesus, we need to let the Holy Spirit work in us to reach that perfection. And remember, it's a step-by-step. We can't attain it overnight. So we need to let the Holy Spirit work in us perfecting us step by step, knowing that with each step, there's a lot more room to grow because we haven't reached total perfection. we got to keep growing, keep letting the Holy Spirit work in us, and let's ask him to help us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Let, let our love grow in that perfection that we see Jesus telling us about there in Matthew chapter 5. And also remember, it's a long journey, you know, throughout this life. As some of us will have shorter lives than others, but Still, it's a step-by-step, day-by-day, lifelong journey. And don't let any bumps in the road discourage you. Because remember, Jesus is right there to pick you up and help you continue this amazing journey he set us on. And the more we become like Jesus, the easier it is to overcome those bumps in the road. And the more we become like Jesus throughout our lives, the closer we grow to being perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. You know, I've discovered in this walk, and I've been walking with Jesus since... 1989, I've noticed the more that I am in the Word of God studying, the more that I am being led by His Holy Spirit, the more that I'm praising Him and worshiping Him and praying to Him, the more that I know Him. 
And the more that I know him, the more that I want to be like him, the more that I, I love him and I want to be obedient to him. And you start seeing things in your life. You look back and go, wow, he's brought me past that stage. And he brought me past that other stage. And, and we keep growing. And I still have a long, long way to go. I still have a lot of room to grow. And we all do. But if we follow Jesus, we read his word, we pray, we live for him, then we'll see him doing that sanctification in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we'll see perfection coming. And again, we'll reach it one day when we see him face to face. But until that day, let's determine we're going to live for him. No matter how imperfect we are, the more we live for him, the more we see perfection. And he's the perfection, not us. So I just want to encourage you to live for him. Be in his word. Let his word change you. And ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, to lead you, to help you to overcome any obstacles that the enemy puts in in your way. Well, we are out of time. I hope today's message has taught you a little bit about that command on be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And as you go through this week, remember that Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. And I encourage you to just live for him. If you haven't given your life to him, I encourage you to do that. And until next week, may God bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.